0: Hello and welcome to IndyStars Politics Podcast. I'm Greg Weaver, the government editor, and I'm here today with uh, Statehouse reporter Tony Cook, uh, education reporter Chelsea Schneider, and Evansville Courier and Press Statehouse reporter Caitlin Lang. And we want to kick things off today by talking about uh, kind of the week that may help make the image of our new governor, uh, Eric Holcomb. And uh, he did a number of things uh, on Thursday that uh, took positions opposite of his predecessor, uh, Mike Pence, who's now the vice president. And uh, Tony, do you want to go through just a few of the things that, uh, that he did on Thursday?
1: Sure. Um, so he pardoned Keith Cooper, a man who was wrongfully convicted of felony robbery uh, nearly 20 years ago. And that was a move that Pence had resisted. Um, There was online petitions circulating, uh, more than 100,000 signatures calling for him to exonerate Cooper. Um, And he uh, declined to do so and said that he didn't feel like Cooper had exhausted his legal remedies yet. Holcomb took a different approach and went ahead and announced that he was uh, pardoning him for the robbery, though not for another felony conviction of battery that Cooper incurred while he was in prison. Um, Holcomb also canceled uh, negotiations uh, over a deal to lease the state's cell phone towers to a private company in Ohio. This deal was controversial because... uh, Pence had said uh, that it would fund these bicentennial projects that he started, including a new state archives building, a new plaza at the state house, and some other projects. And uh, the deal just uh, never came together. And when Pence did announce a tentative deal, it turned out that uh, the state was leasing more than just the cell towers. They were leasing a lot of underground uh, broadband uh, infrastructure as well. Companies like AT&T and Comcast voiced opposition to that, and lawmakers felt like it went beyond what they authorized, and the whole thing got bogged down. Uh, So uh, Holcomb finally cut that one loose and said, we're not going to do it. We're going to start from scratch. Um, The other thing that he did was he authorized uh, or declared a disaster emergency in East Chicago, where there's been uh, really bad lead contamination of a neighborhood there and again this was something that pence had resisted doing um obviously residents there wanted him to declare that emergency because it could help bring some federal resources to bear um, and pence said that he thought the state and the federal government were already doing enough uh, so those were three sort of pretty big departures from uh, Pence's positions. And this comes on top of other uh, things that we've seen from Holcomb that seem to indicate that he's going to be a little more moderate or at least more pragmatic uh, when it comes to tackling some of these issues than Pence was, who really used more of an ideological framework, sort of ran everything, every decision through that ideological framework. Um, Holcomb seems a little less interested in the, uh, you know, ideological um, positions and more interested in uh, problem solving. And so he has uh, also expressed support for local needle exchange programs and letting local governments do those to combat HIV and hepatitis outbreaks uh, caused by uh, drug abuse. Uh, And so, you know, these things are starting to stack up to show us, because there was a big question about whether Holcomb was going to govern like Pence. He was Pence's handpicked successor. There were other Republicans who wanted to uh, run for governor. Uh, Pence came out and endorsed Holcomb. He was Holcomb was his lieutenant governor, um, and people weren't sure whether that meant Holcomb's policies and positions were going to be uh, really reflective of Pence's or not. So far, it looks like you know in the first month he's done a lot of things to signal the fact that uh, he's going to govern differently than Pence.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, those those three decisions on Thursday were three definite departures from what uh, from the positions that Pence had taken. But I think still there's an open question about where Holcomb will come down on the kind of social issues that uh, that Pence um, embraced. So we haven't really seen him respond, you know, to things yet, um, uh, like abortion, uh, like gay rights, um, and it's really unclear whether he'll have an opportunity to, to have to do that. Whether whether the right. legis- legislature will send him those kinds of bills to, that will force him to, to take a stand. But I think maybe the needle exchange uh, decision by Holcomb is probably the first indication we have that he may be uh, a little more moderate on social issues. I mean, that, that, that issue does get into, you know, sort of a conservative versus liberal uh, ideology. That's
1: right. And we've seen the, cons- the new attorney general in Indiana, Curtis Hill, Um, who I think is probably a little more law and order oriented um, and maybe a little more socially conservative, has come out and said that, you know, he opposes those uh, letting locals have that kind of control over needle exchange programs and, you know, has used some uh, pretty harsh words to describe that policy. So, you know, Holcomb is, uh, you know, changing the... I mean, his administration is taking a different position and in the face of some opposition from not only, you know, uh, conservative uh, Republican voters, but from even, you know, high ranking Republicans in his own party, elected officials. So um, he is sort of sticking his neck out there in that way, you know, from a political perspective, as he is with uh, saying that he'd support gas tax, an increase to gas taxes as a way to pay for roads. This is another, you know, situation where really conservative Republicans who oppose almost any kind of tax increase are working against this measure, and, um, and Holcomb has said, you know, he supports looking at all options. So, again, you know, kind of putting his neck out there a little bit when it comes to potentially angering some in the Republican base.
0: Yeah, and, um, and I, I don't really have a sense yet as to whether or not we, we will see bills like abortion and gay rights and those kinds of things, whether they will, you know, end up landing on the governor's desk at this juncture. Chelsea, I know you, you've done some reporting uh, that indicates that maybe uh, the legislative leaders are kind of putting uh, a kibosh uh, on, on some of those issues this year. What's your, what's your reading of that at this, at this point?
2: Well, I think when you see the bills that they've filed, I think they're trying to have maybe more of a low-key year in terms of social issues, really focusing on um, roads funding and other maybe more practical things that the state needs. But we're getting ready to wrap up the first half of session and going into the second half of session, where a lot of times you never know what's going to come up. I remember when I was a young reporter at the state house. I was really um, interested in knowing, like, the rules and exactly what a bill can do. And I got the great advice of, "Well, they can do whatever they want." So I think it'll be interesting to see what issues might arise in the second half. But for now, it looks like they have put an end to the talk of the total abortion ban. It doesn't look like Representative Nisley's proposal is going to be moving forward, but they're also doing some more, maybe minor or minimal tweaks to the state's abortions laws to make them stronger. So more, more
0: restrictive, more restrictive. Yeah.
2: So I think we could see steps in that direction, but jury's still out on whether it's going to be a social issues you know, session.
0: Yeah. Well, and then, so, um, On Thursday, not only did did Governor Holcomb take some actions that kind of uh, were a departure from Governor Pence, but the legislature uh, also uh, overrode a couple of uh, vetoes by Governor Mike Pence um, on Thursday. Uh, One of those uh, overturned a veto of a bill that would have allowed police departments to keep um, certain records secret. Uh, The other uh, overturned a veto to... Uh, on a bill that would prevent state environmental regulators from imposing uh, stricter rules than the federal standards. Um, And I know, Caitlin, that you talked to some of the legislative leaders after those uh, veto rights took uh, place in the House and are likely to take place in the Senate this coming week. Um, What did they say about uh, what kind of reflection this was on the governor or
3: Yeah, most of them, um, I talked to both Bosma in the House and then um, Long in the Senate, um, as well as some Democrat minority leaders, and most of them really had the opinion that this wasn't a reflection on um, Pence, Um, and even Bosma seemed to think that Pence would have supported their vetoes at this point just because of um, some things that had changed um, for instance, I know with the environmental bill at the time, they were dealing with the the crisis in Flint, Michigan. Um, so that you know, kind of not vetoing that might have looked bad on Pence at the time. And then also with the private uh, private police forces, uh, private universities. Um, I know Notre Dame had their own um, lawsuit, kind of. Um, appearance in court on that. So Bosma's opinion was that things have changed and that Pence would support some of the decisions. He also mentioned that he has been talking to Pence. He didn't say if it was recently or when it was, but that Pence sort of knew this was coming um, and that this wasn't a reflection on him at all. And Long sort of had the same opinion that Although it, it looks as though it's kind of this almost overturning of some of the things Pence did, um, long argued that it wasn't. But again, um, these veto overrides in the House were happening at the almost exact same time as Holcomb was repealing some of Pence's efforts, as Tony mentioned earlier. So the timing was just almost too good for for this um, going on. So it was very, very interesting on that matter.
0: Yeah. So, Tony, do you buy that uh, these actions didn't have any uh, reflection on Pence?
1: Well, you know, I think one thing you have to remember is Indiana is a state where there's a relatively weak governor and that lawmakers can override his veto with a simple majority. So a lot of times when you have legislator l- a legislature that's controlled by the same party as the governor, they're hesitant to do that because you're essentially overriding, uh, the governor would, if you override a veto, you're overriding the leader of your own party in a sense. Um, but they seem to be more comfortable doing that now that Pence is in Washington DC. Um, so I mean, I think there's some political calculation that goes into it and I think, I think they would acknowledge that that was a concern. Um, but It is true that on at least one of these bills, the circumstances are a little different because there's been a court decision. So the bill that Pence vetoed would have um, allowed private university police departments like the University of Notre Dame here in Indiana to keep records, uh, most police records, out of the public's hands. And um, since then, there's been a court ruling that determined that... Uh, that private universities are not subject to Indiana's open records laws. So, based on that court ruling, as of now, all of those records are private, anyway. So now that that happened, you know, lawmakers are arguing, and this is a neat little dance that by overriding Pence's veto and allowing their legislation to go into effect, at least some police department records would be made public, even though many of them that would be made public if it was a public agency won't be made public. So they're actually saying Pence's veto was intended to uh, preserve transparency, but after the court ruling, our bill actually now does increase transparency, so Pence would be on board with what we're doing. We don't know if that's true from Pence's perspective. Um, He is a former radio personality and has at times been somewhat sympathetic to uh, the media's uh, need for access to records and, and public meetings and of course uh, we reached out to his folks in Washington and didn't get uh, and they didn't return our messages so you can comment on this so, um, yeah, so there, there is some nuance to it one of the things I think that's interesting is a lot of uh, more liberal folks are cheering the fact that Holcomb and lawmakers are over turning or redoing or undoing, uh, some of what Pence did. Um, but actually these two voters, these two vetoes that Pence did last year were among the very few things that liberals cheered and, uh, thought that he was making a good decision on. So for the legislature to come undo those is a little bit different than Holcomb changing direction on Keith Cooper or the lead crisis in East Chicago.
0: Yeah, so, well, uh, certainly Holcomb is starting to, to uh, create his own image, uh, and it'll be interesting to watch uh, in the weeks to come. Um, another issue that uh, uh, he has proposed this session is uh, making the uh, State Superintendent of Public Instruction uh, an appointed position rather than an elected position. This is something that's been debated uh, over the last probably couple of decades, uh, and it never seems to happen because they're partisan, a lot of partisan fighting goes on over that. So um, Chelsea, what do you think the chances are this year that we'll actually see uh, the passage of a bill that makes uh, the superintendent appointed rather than elected?
2: Definitely, so I think this year there's a better than most chance. You have Speaker Bosma on the House side authoring a bill to make the position appointed beginning in 2021. So that would basically mean that Dr. McCormick, the current school's chief, could fill out her current term. And then the position would become appointed, so whoever the governor is would be able to decide. That's why I think you're seeing the strong signal, both from Governor Holcomb and Speaker Bosma, that this is the year maybe to get you know a big thing and a lot of people's to-do lists done. Um, testimony and committee there's a separate senate bill that would essentially do the same thing that Bosman's bill would do shifting the position from an elected role to an appointed role what you saw was basically testimony that we've seen over the years when this issues come up you have people on one side that say look the governor and the school's chief need to work together that's the best thing for who's your school children for them to be on the same page but then you also have people that say look this is a really important role Education is inherently political a lot of times and, you know, issues that they take up. We think voters deserve to have a say in this position. I think for a long time, for four years, it was an extreme political risk for them to take up the issue because you had superintendent or former superintendent Glenda Ritz in office. I think any sort of movement um, of quote unquote stripping her of any sort of power or really doing a power play on that position might have, you know hurt Republicans a little bit politically more than they'd like to say. So I think now that you have a Republican superintendent, you have a Republican, you know, governor, it might be time to do the switch in maybe the least, you know, you know politically risky environment as possible. But you do have some Republicans who are against it, right? You have Senator Dennis Cruz, he leads Senate education policy, who's just like, "No, I don't think we should do this. I think Voters should still elect the superintendent. So I think it'll be interesting to see now that the Senate bill is farther along in the process, how it goes once it gets to a floor vote. And I think that could be a greater indication of whether it's going to happen this year or not.
0: Right, and then the, the House uh, is expected to take up its bill this coming week, is that right?
2: Definitely. So the Senate had their bill, um, they passed it out of committee, and the House is going to take up Speaker Bosma's bill, which to me is probably the bill that's going to move on um, this week in committee, where we'll probably see similar testimony.
0: Yeah. And uh, another, uh, another bill that's likely to be taken up uh, next week. Um, On the house floor is the the road funding proposal uh which includes a uh, a 10 cent a gallon increase in the uh the gasoline tax and um uh, caitlin you've been following that issue uh is that something that you think will end up passing the house
3: yeah i'm sure um that bill obviously has has a ton of support by leaders it's it's the bill that bosma says that's the form he wants the road funding transportation to be in. Um, what's interesting about that bill is lawmakers made a pretty big change to it um, on Thursday in one of the committees. Um, one of the complaints that many people had about the current proposal to raise gas tax 10 cents is already some of the the money you pay at the pump, the, the gas um, sales tax doesn't go entirely to Uh, roads right now some of that goes to the general fund so the initial um, house proposal was to slowly phase that money in from the general fund entirely to the roads fund and now um, on Thursday they decided that they were going to put that money to roads right away so this is a pretty big change I'm interested to see what um, some of the more conservative groups have to say about um, about this change since that was one of their main complaints but It also leaves a huge hole in the general fund, uh, which, you know, as the the House Ways and Means looks to release their budget coming up, it'll be interesting to see how they fill that hole, whether it's with an increased cigarette tax or whatever means they can really find. So that's really the big update with that bill that we'll see next week on the floor.
0: So, And, Tony, what kind of reception do you think that measure is going to get in the Senate?
1: Um, You know, the Senate has been playing it pretty coy on this so far. They opted against putting together their own road funding package. Last year, they resisted a similar package. And so, uh, you know, it seems like uh, they're more receptive to possibly uh, increasing some taxes to fund roads this year. But I'm sure that they'll have a strong desire to put their own stamp on it. One of the things we saw the Senate do last week, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, was increase uh, or uh, I'm sorry. They passed a bill that would allow the state to issue up to five hundred million dollars in bonds for uh, transportation. And, you know, that level of borrowing really has not been discussed in what the House Republican uh from House Republicans or by, uh, governor Holcomb. So, you know, whether they see borrowing is playing a bigger role in the package will be remain to be seen. Um, and you know, whether they're willing and the members of their caucus are willing to stomach these tax increases, I think will be interesting. So I don't think it's, uh, at all a sure thing in the Senate, but, I do think there's a lot of pressure. I think there's enough pressure to do something about road funding that they will have to act on something. Um, And like I said, they've been pretty quiet in terms of exactly what they think that package should look like. So i suspect there'll be some changes, but what those changes will look like, I don't think is clear yet.
0: Okay, and uh, the other thing, the other big thing that's gonna be happening happening for us next week is that uh, we're going to be losing uh, our whiz bang education reporter Chelsea Schneider. Uh, <laughs> she's going to be moving on, and we're going to uh, we're going to miss her a lot here at uh, at the Star because she's uh, she's tenacious, but she's also a ray of sunshine everywhere she goes. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so we want to uh, wish Chelsea uh, well, uh, and we uh, ask uh, all of you to tune in to us again next week.